0: We are absolutely confident that since you have begun this good work in us, that you will finish it. We're not confident in our own strength to do that, because we know that that's impossible. But as your Spirit has indwelt us, as your Spirit continues to convict us, as your Spirit changes us so that we might become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, we are just very thankful, very, very thankful that That you are conforming us to his image. We know that your love is endless. That you do not love us anymore because we are obedient. And yet help us to show our love for you by being obedient. Father, I pray that you would put in our hearts a desire to obey. Father, again, we know that the way of the transgressor is hard. And for some of us, we've been transgressing a whole lot. We've walked off the path. It's become the norm of our life. We still are convicted, and we keep saying no. I pray that today your word and the Spirit of God would convince us to repent and walk with you. Knowing that we're in a very dangerous spot... Because if we're continually disobedient, it really starts to show that we're really not believers at all. Father, help us not just to assume our connection with you, unless we seek and have a heart that wants to walk with you, to truly follow you, as the Lord Jesus said, we must. So we ask for your wisdom. We ask that we would be teachable, that our hearts would be As Jeremiah says, hearts of flesh, in the sense that we are receptive. Receptive to what your word says versus hearts of stone that are just stiff-necked and say no. Help us not to assume that we are obedient unless, as your spirit evaluates us, we are confirmed in our obedience. We ask again that you would be glorified through what is said, and how it is received, in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. As you know, a couple, three weeks ago, I guess it was, before, the week before uh, Steve Coffey was here, we we looked at uh, Romans chapter 5 and... And uh, looked at the Apostle Paul, and I gave you some um, marks, authentic marks of a Great Commission Christian. We talked a lot about the unreached people groups. A couple interesting statistics that are actually heartbreaking the fact that about a third of the world has never heard about the Lord 2.6 billion to 2.9 billion people have never heard. And again, we're not talking about people that have a a person that's a Christian beside them. I'm talking about people that you could literally, they could walk days and days and weeks and weeks and not come across a Christian. Much of it is in Asia. Much of it is what they call the 1040 window. Upper Africa, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, right there, that 1040 window. The other thing we learned was that 90% of those who go out to minister, go out to people that are not the unreached. In other words, it's not that they're not reaching out. It's that they are going to places where there is more than 2% of Christians already there. There's something to be said for us needing to reach out. We need to be evangelizing this area. But again, we, there's a church here, a fundamental church. There's places in the world there's no church. There's places in the world there's no Christians in vast areas. And as Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 15, I let me quote the one part because it was, he said, "I need to move on." In Romans 15, 23, it says, but now no longer having a place in these parts. He didn't mean that there was no more work to be done. I think the Holman Bible says it the best, but now I no longer have any work to do in these providences. In other words, for him as a missionary pastor, he says, listen, there are Christians here in this area. There are churches here in this area. I need to move on. Let the churches and the Christians deal with the, the, uh, as it were, the mop-up. You know how in war they conquer, they leave troops to mop up? (laughs) That's actually what local churches do in one sense. I hate to say that, but that's really what it is, right? There's an establishment here, but there are places there's no church, there's no Christians, the unreached. Now, then we heard with uh, Steve Coffey about compassion. Key word, compassion. And then last week, with Brother Kennedy as far as how to work together, which I found was a very interesting passage by what he was talking about. But the point is is this, we need to be committed to the plan. By the way, not our plan, not what we want to see on this, in this world, what the Lord wants to see. And, and one of the most important passages in this is Matthew chapter 16. So if you're not there, Matthew 16 verse 24. We're going to be here actually for a couple weeks. We're going to finish up the missions conference actually next week. We're going to make this a two-part be in this passage and a couple others because this is such a critical passage on commitment on commitment and the, and the question that this passage is answering is this, what did the Lord Jesus expect from a true disciple or I could say it this way what did Jesus Christ expect from a true believer I'm going to use the word believer and disciple as synonymous for today Some people say, well, you receive Jesus as your Savior, and then some other time you accept him as a disciple, as your Lord. That's really not a distinction in Scripture. He is Lord. It's kind of like me saying, um, like one of my kids talking to me, well, you know, right now I'm just going to accept Dad as um, a friend. Maybe later on I'll accept him as my father. So I don't have to listen to him right now because he's just my friend. But maybe later on I'll accept him as a, a my father, as authority figure. No, no. Colton, go in the back. <laughs> no, you can say right there. He's like, what do I do? No, right? Jesus Christ tells us commandments, and I, and, and I think we evaluate and say, well, I'm not sure if I really want to obey. Don't we? I think we're going to see a lot of obedience that, that we need to do. Anyways, Matthew 16, 24. Again, Jesus said to his disciples. I want you to notice he's talking to his disciples. But he's saying, this is what you, if you're going to follow me, this is what you have to do. Anyone desires to come after me, in other words, walk with me, be one of mine, walk in my path, obey me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is what I would call a very hard saying of Jesus Christ. James Boyce wrote about this passage, "Quote, There is a fatal defect, defect in the life of Christ's church in the 20th century, that being a lack of true discipleship. For the genuine Christian, discipleship means forsaking everything to follow Christ. But for many of today's supposed Christians, and I'm going to highlight that, supposed Christians perhaps the majority, it is the case that while there is much talk about Christ, and even much furious activity that's supposed to be done in his name, there is actually very little following of Christ himself. And that means in some circles, there is little or very little genuine Christianity. And he goes on, he says, many who fervently call him Lord, Lord, are not even Christians. Now think about that. You can say it, but the question is, are you living it? By the way, that passage is the Christian life in a nutshell. We are continually fighting against the flesh, and when I capitulate to the flesh, I have at that moment not denied myself the flesh. I have not taken up my cross. I have not followed him. See, that's the give and take. This is not a one-time decision, and then all of a sudden you forever will have denied yourself, take up your cross, follow him. This is a continual battle. But it starts at the moment of salvation. You recognize Jesus for who he is. The only Savior, God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we, the, the Scripture emphasizes he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. And as Lord, he is our master. He is calling us to obedience. He is calling us to sacrifice. He is calling us to commitment to him. And those words that we are using is deny, to take up our cross, and to follow. Now again, just think of the word cross. The cross was a means of death. Death to self. And what I mean by that is the flesh. The old man. The old Adamic nature that is trying to get us to hate God, or actually hates God. Again, this is not easy. This is a hard, this is a very hard statement. I mean, this is a very hard passage. There's deep conviction in here. See, following Christ demands that I am willing to sacrifice and suffer for Him. Now, I want you to think about that. Following means sacrifice. Following means suffering. Suffering. That's why he says the first part of that verse, if anyone desires to come after me, again, some would say, well, he's talking about a discipleship that is like secondary to salvation. You get saved, again, as I referenced earlier, and now you have a second experience or commitment or dedication, however you want to say it, and and then you're really walking with Jesus. Oh, you were walking with Jesus, now you're really walking with Jesus. Because that's what he means. Well, let's go over to Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Just hold your hand in Matthew, we'll be right there. Uh, but in Ma- uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, let's test that thought. Is this a salvation passage, or is this like a higher level uh second uh uh commitment, second dedication passage? In Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says, now as he was going, that's Christ out, of the ro- uh, out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So again, this rich young ruler, you know the story, Christ is walking along, what should I do? First question he asks, uh, why do you call me good? He's trying to establish righteousness in saying, hey, now who is really good? <laughs> Romans says there's none of us are good. Right? In and of ourselves. Oh, we might have superficial goodness. Other people might look at you and say, Oh, you're good. But Romans 3 is very clear. All have sinned. And then fallen short of the glory of God. Who is good? So he says, first of all, um, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know what he's trying to do? Hey, if you're telling me I'm good in in the purest sense, Then you're saying that I'm God. Which Jesus Christ is. Then Jesus says this, you know the commandments, and he, he named some, adultery, do not steal, false witness, defraud, you know, uh, keep those. And look at what he said in verse 20, he's deluded. And he said it, uh, to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth, truly deceived. Didn't see that he was a sinner. So Jesus just takes one more thing. He just throws out one more piece of bait, as it were, in the sense of truth, I mean, let's say truth. And says, okay, well, all right, by the way, notice what he says, kind of going back to what Steve Coffey, remember he said, looking at him, loved him, had compassion, didn't just write him off. All right, another one going to hell. Well, he, wait a second, he loved him. Do we love people as we share, even if they reject what we say? One thing you lack. He just goes basically to that one uh, concept of covetousness. Remember Ten Commandments, last one, thou shalt not covet. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. In other words, by the way, this is not work salvation. What Jesus was getting at was kind of like the pearl of great price in Matthew, what is 13? What, what did he do when the person found that there was a something hidden, a treasure, or, or that there's two different parables, but what did he do? He was willing to what? Sell everything that he had for that one because he knew that it was so precious. When, it, when we come to Jesus Christ, we should be willing to give up whatever we have for him. And look at that last part of that verse. In verse uh, 21, the last part, you have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. By the way, what was the question that the young ruler just asked? How can I be saved? Jesus ends the entire conversation. Well, Come take up the cross and follow me. It's incorrect to look at Matthew 16 and say, well, that's a higher-level commitment passage. No, this is a salvation passage. Martin Luther, I believe, had it right when he said that he considered the suffering to be the mark of the church and a badge of true discipleship. In other words, the willingness to deny ourselves, the willingness to take up the cross, that's suffering, and to follow him. So this is not a second level of commitment. In fact, this is what Jesus was referring to in Luke 14 when he says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he can't be my disciple. He says in a few verses later, <clears throat> Luke fourteen thirty three. Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. When we come to the Lord, we come to the Lord. (laughs) He's my master. By the way, I didn't know all these concepts. I knew he was Lord. I remember back in 75 when I got saved, it was like, I knew he was Lord. I knew I need to follow him. Oh, all these concepts weren't completely clear, but I knew he was Lord. When you receive Jesus Christ, you realize he's Lord. He's Lord by the way when you receive christ he's lord i'm expected to deny myself i'm expected to um, take up my cross and follow him we veer we veer we veer very quickly see the flesh is constantly pulling ah you don't have to deny come on let's by the way when you're over here you're not walking with jesus my great concern is a lot of christianity is not walking with jesus whether they're true believers or not, they're not, they're not walking, well, I mean, they're not believers, they're not walking with Jesus, but true believers that somehow think, well, Jesus was an add-on. Jesus is not an add-on. Jesus is the Lord. And he's expecting complete obedience. Now, understand, I want you to catch this. We're sinners, and we continually sin. And today I sinned, and days ago I sinned, and I continue to sin. And I keep getting off the path, but the Lord keeps bringing me back. Why? Because he expects obedience. No, he expects John Prince to deny myself. He expects John Prince to discipline himself so that I'm willing to take up the cross and suffer for him. He expects John Prince to also be willing to follow when it's not easy. And I don't sometimes. I'm over here and Lord, please forgive me. And then we go over here and Lord, please. But we've got to get in our mind at least what the goal is. Normal Christianity is you deny yourself, take up the cross and follow him. That's normal. That's not super spiritual. Sometimes I think in America, we think that's super spiritual. Man, look at him. He really denies himself. To... That's normal. Do you see when you if, you, if you say the normal is over here, then we feel comfortable over here. Well, you know, I kind of dictate to him. I dictate to God what, what, uh, you know, what he's going to get from me. No, my life is his. And that's why in Matthew, where did it say, you know, Lord, Lord, have we not, and they name all the things, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things in your name? I never knew you. I never knew you. So again, we've got to be careful. Or as one man said, Christianity without the cross is worthless. So let's look at these three things here. Three specific statements. We're not going to get through every, all of it today, but we'll... Because this is so important that we grab a hold of this is important for us. This is important for our eternal reward, even our eternal destiny. It is certainly important for us as, as parents and grandparents that we pass on to the next generation what true Christianity is. Because this is what happened has happened in America. Prosperity has shriveled us spiritually. It has. It has made our minds go over here to like, well, I got to make sure I'm set for, uh, for, for my retirement. And we, we set everything according to all these. And then we get really busy trying to get fulfillment from what the world says is important. See, prosperity has shriveled us for many of us. We've got to recognize that. See, if you say, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. You've already got deceived. Because I can tell you, it's like one guy said years ago. How did he say it? Persecution has killed its thousands and prosperity its tens of thousands. It's true. It's true. We've got to be careful. I'm not saying that you have to give all your money away. Okay. But you've got to be willing to. If you hold it like this and you say, I'm not going to, you've just proved your heart, right? I'm not just talking money. I'm talking your time. Uh, we've been doing in Home Group a thing on, uh, on entertainment, how destructive the media is in our own life. I haven't gone, and I keep saying we need to go on a media fast. As I was singing, I thought, you know, he is Lord. I'm going to not do any media this week. You can ask me. But the point is, and I thought, that's so hard. Oh, I don't... Did you hear what I just said? Giving up TV for one week is hard? Give me a break. That just shows my own heart. Really, John? Let's get to suffering where, you know, one of your children might have to die. In other countries, that's where it is, right? Let's be careful what we consider even suffering anyways. Three requirements for true discipleship. First of all, saying no to self. It says deny yourself. Deny, the word deny means to affirm that one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. In other words, it's forgetting about someone. Here he says deny yourself. By the way, that's the same word used of Peter when he denied the Lord. I don't know him. What does he mean here? He's saying it this way. We should get to a point where we say, no, Lord, I say no to my flesh. No, I don't want to do what the flesh wants me to do. What the old man says I need to do. I need to disown this. In other words, it's the opposite. Or this is what we'd be referring to, like self-seeking. You've got to deny self-seeking. Deny uh, self-esteem and self-love and self-image and everything it has to do with what self. Like I'm really that important. I'm not important. I'm a speck on the thing. I'm a son of God, but but I'm not important in the sense that I have to have certain things in my life to like I have to have it. I've got to get into my mind that He is the Master and I am simply His slave. That's the terminology of Scripture. Now, you can see the self-willedness of people in Scripture. In fact, you can see the personality of Satan being self-willed. Think about in Isaiah 14, don't turn there, but this is what he says. For you have said in your heart, this is what he's saying, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will, I will, there's five I wills. The idea is Satan is totally what? Self-absorbed. <laughs> That's an illustration of not denying yourself. By the way, the opposite is Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, that says that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a what? Bond servant or a servant. And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Now notice this. No reputation, humbled himself, became obedient what? To the cross. There's this connection of humility leads always to obedience. Humility leads to obedience. I'm humble. No, you can't say humility leads to obedience. By the way, you, you obey because you love. So humility shows love that is exemplified by obedience. I trust that you really do want to be obedient to God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 of that passage says this, Therefore God also highly exalted him. Humiliation comes, and by the way, this is a consistency in Scripture, before glorification comes humiliation. As God wants to reward you, and if you're a child of his, I want you to hear this. He wants to reward you, but God is a just God. And to reward you means you have to walk with him. And that's what this whole process of sanctification is on this earth, is God working in John Prince and working in you so that I would become obedient to his ways and his will, walk in his path, so that when I see Jesus Christ, I stand before him and is able to be rewarded. You know Why? because I'm a trophy of grace look at that guy what a sinful slob before I got him but now I grabbed him and like respectfully so the hound of heaven he's the hound of heaven I mean very respectfully in other words he pursues you what's the song that we just sang he never stops giving up on however that goes yeah you get it maybe you can sing it but the point is (laughs) he doesn't I would have walked away by the way if my salvation depended on me I'd be gone I want you to know that if my salvation depended on me keeping grace, I would have lost it. It's only because he, he is pursuing us. He's given us a spirit. I mean, in one sense, he doesn't have to pursue us because he's in us. But the point is he is. The thing is this, we got to get this in our mind. He is pursuing us and he will not lose. If he started the good work in you, he will finish it. If you're saved, I believe you're always will be saved. But this is the kicker. We might be saved and we might stand before him, but as 1 Corinthians talks about, the fire of judgment will burn. And many of us will stand before him, not receiving all the rewards that we could have. Oh, we'll be in heaven and praise God for that. But we will not have walked and ran the race like he wanted us to. We kept veering off the path. And I'm here to say, you know what, let's make sure we're all on the right path of salvation, having truly received Christ, but now truly walking in his path. See, Satan said it this way, I want my way, I'm going to displease God, I will rule the universe. That's what the I wills are about. But Jesus said, I will go down in self-denial, I will abase myself in order that others, those I love, might be lifted from their sins to glory. He was obedient, even to the point of death. Now, I want you to catch that word again, deny. Let him deny himself. In summary, it'd be this. Anything which would prevent complete uh, commitment would be taken out. That's the whole idea of that deny himself. In other words, I am fully committed. Because everything about me is off the table denial undermines the gospel of self-esteem and undermines this gospel of self-love and self-image that was a quote but the point is is this we get too in america we get too wrapped up oh you know you gotta be love you gotta oh no 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 it has nothing to do with that if jesus was here he would say it this way i'm your lord and you're my slaves end of story right now think about it. I mean, just keep going back to that slave mentality. Then the only point is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? By the way, I want to highlight this. It's not that deny yourself does not mean that you're, you're um, denying your personal identity in Christ. We are a son of God. We are joint heirs with him. But it does have to do with as far as the the flesh and the old man and all the uh, impediments of the old life have to be denied. So as one man said, Arthur Pink, growth in grace is growth downward. It is the forming of a lower estimate of ourselves. It is a deepening realization of our nothingness. It is the heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of God's mercies. And I'm going to add this, and yet... He is our Father. And He wants to bestow upon us all the riches, all the spiritual riches in Christ. And so He's running with us because He wants me to get to the line. I'm absolutely convinced of this. So I stand before Jesus, who is the judge. He's, by the way, Jesus is the judge of the earth. He's the judge of believers. He's the judge. At the end, He's the judge that does all. But I believe the Father and the Spirit are right there at the day of judgment seat, uh, and at the Bema seat, and He wants to see me rewarded. He wants to see you rewarded. He's going to, by the way, he's going to push the knife of Scripture into your heart even today to give up things that don't matter because he wants to see you rewarded. But remember, he is a righteous, uh, Jesus Christ is a righteous judge. He can only reward for what has truly happened. So we want to say, Lord, do your work in me. Let's go to the second one. We deny ourselves... Second one. Oh, that was that was serious right there. So deny yourself, absolute self denial. Number two, take up your cross, bearing the cross that 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 appears six times in scripture. You see something six times, you know it's very very important. And again, uh, sometimes you only see uh, take up your cross. You don't see the word deny. In this passage, you see both, which really gives emphasis to the fact of no to me, yes to God type of thing. You can find it in like Matthew 10 where he says, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Or in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. You know, when it came to the cross, you know, we have gold crosses and silver crosses and we forget what the cross represented. To the Romans, you know, I mean, the people that live back there, the cross was nothing more than shame. It was horrific. Back then, just to give you some ideas, it was, it was developed actually by the Persians, but other uh, groups of people uh, used crucifixion Obviously, Christ was crucified by the Romans, but there were times where thousands and thousands of people were crucified. They say when Alexander the Great uh, conquered Babylon, which is Daniel chapter what six, he, he crucified 2,000 Babylonians. Or chapter five, excuse me. 2,000 Babylonians in the streets of Babylon. Now think about that. Think about 2,000 people hanging on wood, rotting after they died. First of all, yelling, screaming, suffering, and then dying. And then ultimately having, they would just leave them up there so that the birds would literally eat the flesh and the wild dogs would come along. And, because they usually crucified, by the way, only a, about a foot off the ground, foot to two feet. See, they didn't bring them way up high. Because you know what it was? And they had their legs usually uh, crimped. And they would pound the nails in. And, and that's why they would bust, you know, after they'd bust the legs. To, because it was a, a thing where you had to keep... But the idea was this. They wanted you about this height. Because as people went by, they saw your eyes. And they wanted you to know, you go against Rome. This is what happens to you. Crucifixion was repugnant. It was a demeaning form of execution for basically the rabble of society. The idea that anybody who died on a cross was in any sense an exceptional, elevated, noble, or an important person was absolutely absurd. Absurd. That's why when, when Paul, by the way, kept talking about the cross of Christ, that to, the, that to that day and age was a total offense. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, a uh, you know, seeker-sensitive service, you wouldn't... Back then, if you wanted a seeker-sensitive service, you wouldn't mention the cross of Christ. Do away with the cross. Don't even mention it because... In that day and age, a person who was on a cross was a thief, a criminal. It was the worst of worst uh, ways to die. Roman citizens could not even be crucified. They would not allow a Roman citizen to be crucified unless it was shown that they were treacherous against Rome itself. They just felt like it was such a horrific death, a Roman citizen would not have to go through it. This is what would happen. Soldiers first flogged the individual... Then forced them to carry their crossbeam, the instrument of their own death, to the crucifixion site. Signs around the necks indicated that the the crime that had been committed. And by the way, you see this exactly with Christ. Then they would, well, they would let him go down the streets, literally totally naked. See, the idea was total humiliation. Then the soldiers tied and nailed them to the crossbars, hoisted them into the upright position, and post and suspended them there nude. The executioners could hurry the death process again by, by uh, breaking the legs. And the point was is that you would just, you know, as you sunk, and once your legs were broke, you, you basically suffocation. Uh, crucifixion sometimes lasted for days, four, five, six days. You get a strong man, wasn't totally uh, scourged, he could just keep lifting himself up. And the entire process, uh, total humiliation total total uh the the worst drags of society the worst thieves so when paul or excuse me when uh, jesus christ says take up your cross again total humiliation following jesus christ is is to the world's you know how does the world uh, would look at us fools why would you give up everything you have in this life for him by the way, cross-bearing is not enduring the inevitable. Let me in your outline, what is it not and what is it? It's not enduring the inevitable. In other words, long-term difficulties or a difficult situation, a chronic disease. Let me throw this one out, a nagging wife. Can't say that's my cross. That's inevitable. Well, not the wife, but I mean, you know. <laughs> By the way, what is cross-bearing? I I didn't write this. I don't think I wrote this in, but MacArthur writes this as a quote, and I I believe it's exact. It is the willingness to pay any price, even death, for Christ's sake. That's what a cross means. When he says, take up your cross, he's saying being willing to pay any price, even death, for Christ's sake. So let's look at some of these. So cross-bearing could be this. Prayer. It could be fasting. It could be Bible studies. Why? Because these take time and must be chosen over other things that may be humanly preferred. In other words, I give up sleep to get up to pray. That could be cross-bearing. Or I give up food, fasting. I give up entertainment. Why? Because I want a relationship. I want a tighter relationship with Christ. So, as you think of cross-bearing, I don't want you just to think of a person throwing a stone at you, and man, I'm going to have to move to Iraq to bear my cross. No, it's the commitment to walk with Jesus Christ in righteousness. Sometimes it does mean suffering physically. But sometimes it's just a matter of, Lord, instead of me just getting up and I'm not having any time with you, I'm not walking with you in a a committed way, I'm going to start walking with you. Sometimes cross-bearing involves the items... Found in Matthew 25, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, receiving the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting someone in prison. By the way, I got a, um, a note from someone that wants to know if we want to start a prison ministry. I think it was. It, it actually came back in September. I never opened my mail for some reason, and I just happened to miss it. But maybe one of you say, you know what, I'd like to do a prison ministry. They're the forgotten, right? That's cross bearing. Why is that cross bearing? Because it takes something from me to feed, to give, to be hospitable. There involves sacrifice, involves time and money and convenience when I give a drink or receive a stranger. That's or clothe the naked. The third one could be this: cross bearing involves witnessing, because for Christ's sake, I'm telling them the good news, knowing they may receive the, the good news or they may reject it. They may reject me. They may mock me. It's putting ourselves out for God. (coughs) It's going to them, knowing there's a sacrifice. I think of the, and I've told you many times, the missionaries of the 1800s who many times, let's say, went to Africa. Do you know that the missionaries that went to Africa in the 1800s had a life expectancy of two years? Now, when they signed on the dotted line and they got on that ship... That's why they sent their stuff over in a coffin. They fully expected within two, five, ten years, someone would be coming back in that coffin. Who was it? Um, was it Carrie or Judson that had three wives? Oh, no, I mean one at a time.
1: <laughs>
0: died, remarried, died, remarried, And then he finally died, I think, and she was still living. But the point is, is that it was sacrifice. Sacrifice. I want you to hear this one excerpt. This is actually, this, a part of this Steve Coffey played, but he never played the entire part. So it's a two-minute excerpt. 6,800. judge us. That's not true. He's going to judge us by really the sacrifices we make and the obedience to him that we do. Brother, I know that this is not a popular message. I was thinking about this. I I wonder if maybe someone might even leave this church after hearing this. This is a tough message. This is a message that says, you know what? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Um, But the reality is I I, I, I want to encourage you to think through not what we think as an Americans He said that one statement: Americans, they're just gone. We're, maybe that's true. Our prosperity is so blind. I'm not saying every one of you, but many times our prosperity has blinded us to the need—the 1,538 groups or whatever that is, the unreached, the 2.6 billion people. See, cross bearing says I must get the good news out. For some, they go. For some, we stay. But we all are about God's business as, as part of representing Him, Jesus Christ. Cross-bearing can also involve giving money. I'm not, by the way, this is not, oh, you're just trying to get the budget up. No, it has nothing, really has very little to do with it. It has to do with stewardship. Because you're running that race, and God wants you to be rewarded, but you've got to run the race under His rules. I think I think some of the most dangerous situations that Christians face is wealth, because it blurs us. And and again, I mean, I think of when I stand before the Lord, He's going to say, "I gave you all that stuff, I gave you all those resources, I gave you all that time. What'd you do with it?" Well, it was just about me. Spent it mostly on myself. Can you imagine how hard that will be to stand before the Lord? See, everything that you have is his, and he wants to know, how did you use the resources I gave you for those 65 years of your life? I would encourage you to be a good steward. I was thinking earlier about my stewardship. Let me say it this way. I would encourage you to, uh, I don't even know where to put but get out your bulletin, and I, yeah, where did it? Is? I put it somewhere, but you're gonna see two different sheets in there. One is a, a faith promise. I'm gonna encourage you to Give. By the way, give in such a way that you first of all give to the local church. Oh, yeah, because you've got to pay for your salary, John. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's sequential obedience. I would encourage you to give to the local church first. In fact, I was thinking of percentages. Uh, for, a thousand, for every thousand I give, about 20 or 200 and some go to missions. I was thinking of it this way I give about 23% to missions. And about seventy-eight percent to the local church. That's the sequence. Now you don't have to do that. I'm not telling you to do. It. But I'm saying, I think you need to have a plan. You know, a plan. I give to the local church. I give to the mission. By the way, uh, we have a missionaries go uh, are going to Jamaica, and we have other. You know, I mean, you have FLM and all these. Other. That's offerings. That's extra. You shouldn't think of it this way. Oh, I have a slave auction. You know, the slave auction. Oh, yeah, I haven't given tithe for a while. Give it all to there. That's wrong thinking. First of all, it talks about the storehouse. And I know that's Old Testament principle, but it has a lot of New Testament implication. I'm I'm, I'm diverting for a moment because I want you to think about, am I helping out with missions? put it in in the big picture of local church missions. Um, One of the things I'm going to ask the elders at our next meeting is, will we make a commitment that if we take on another missionary, it's going to be to the unreached? Kind of like the people, uh, um, oh, I just lost it in Bangladesh. I can see their face. Help me out. Gregory's. (laughs) Um, Or India. You know, let's make sure we're emphasizing where they have no witness, right? The other thing I want you to notice is uh, in the back, I don't think there was in your bulletin, is a prayer card. See, praying for, giving towards, that's part of bearing your cross. I hope that each one of you will be willing to say, yes, I am going to support missions financially, but more importantly, as uh, we heard last week, uh, with my prayers, I'm going to be faithful to at least one missionary. Let me throw in a little personal. Would you also be willing to pray for me? On the right-hand side, That's elders. I think there was two cards there. You I only have two people praying for me. I hope more than that. Would you pray for me or pray for us as elders? I look at Billy and the rest. Would you be willing to commit yourself? That's part of taking up your cross. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm be faithful to bring them before the throne of grace. Again, cross-bearing means giving back to God whatever he has given to us, or as we looked at in Romans 12, a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. By the way, let me throw in one other thing: staying in a hard marriage. Remember, I said crossbearing is not putting up with a nagging wife. But you know what? If you find yourself in a marriage, and the option is jump or not, Lord, because the picture of marriage is a picture of your love for the church, I'm staying. I'm staying not to try to make save my marriage either, even. I'm well, but I'm staying because it honors you. That's why I'm staying. That would be cross-bearing, if that's the motivation. It's doing the right things for Jesus Christ, right? By the way, it says in this passage, if anyone desires to come after me, let me just finish out a part of that outline. The demand to take up the cross is universal. I just want to end with this point. It's universal, if anyone It's not like just the super saints. It's not just for the ones that, you know, really want to walk with Jesus. If you want to walk with Jesus, this is what has to happen. It's universal. An old uh, English, I say old, he's older, he's still living, but an uh, English uh, writer writes it this way. It is this most obvious aspect of our Lord's teaching which has been forgotten or ignored by modern evangelism. Anxious to bring sinners to life, peace, and joy in the Lord, evangelists have failed to even mention that Christ insists upon denial of self at the outset. Having failed to pass on our Lord's requirement and forgetting it themselves, evangelists have never questioned whether their converts, quote-unquote, with self-centered lives are true followers of Christ. Falsely assuming that it is possible for a man, this is falsely assuming that it is possible for a man to be self-indulgent and yet heaven-bound. Bible teachers look for some way to bring egocentric men and women to a higher spiritual plane. Then self-denial is taught as a requirement for a second work of grace. There again, that's the error. He goes on, Those who save texts demanding a cross for a deeper life, quote unquote, have cheated their hearers in evangelism. Without a cross, there is no following Christ. And without following Christ, there is not life at all. An impression has been given that many enter life through a wide gate of believing on Jesus, then a few years later through a narrow gate of the cross for a deeper spiritual service. On the contrary, the broad way, without self-denial, leads to destruction. All who are saved have entered by the fraternity of the cross. Yeah, if you look at the broadway and the uh, the, the broad way and the narrow way, if you look at the context, that's actually talking about religion there. Oh, there's a broad way of religion that says, yeah, just follow, you know, whatever. Not follow, just believe. <laughs> but the narrow way is commitment to Him. It's universal. And there's a great need out there and we need to be uh, on board as far as committed to walking with Jesus Christ and making his program, our program, sometimes we get that in reverse that we've added him like, almost like a genie. And Jesus, no, no, I bought you with a price. Now I want you to remember this. I bought you with a price. I sacrificed myself. Total commitment for the Father's will. I went to the cross, died for your sins so that as you receive me, I become your Savior, I become your Lord, I become your Master. And the question then is, what do you want me to do? And he's already told us. Be willing to commit, to sacrifice for him. Sometimes it comes in the form of praying, discipling reaching out maybe even going in fact i want you to see this last there's one last video it's about six minutes long and then we'll close but this is talking about this the state of the world and some of the statistics will blow your mind how bad the world really is and the question is what do we need to do Going to stand. Did you catch those statistics? Two plus billion without the knowledge of the Savior. 140 million orphans. 150 million street children. 1 billion living in slums. 1.5 billion living on less than a buck and a half a day. If you just bow your heads you know, he tells us, you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. And um, I've never done this before, but as your head is bowed, you know, maybe, maybe the Lord has been speaking to you and saying, you know what, I want to make a commitment to walk with him. Maybe it's because you haven't been, and you say, Lord, Lord, I need to change direction, and be committed to walking with you. But maybe it's that Lord, I've wanted to walk with you, but I, but I want to deny myself. I, I want to do what you've called me to do. Sometimes it gets hard taking up the cross, and I don't. And I'm going to ask this, not to raise your hand, but if you're if you want to even come to the front of this church, and this is the purpose to just kneel at the altar. <laughs> this. Just to, I know when I was, years ago when I was a junior in high school, I went forward, that was about the only time I ever did, and I made the commitment to walk with Him. And again, I really believe the Lord wants some of you to come up forward and commit yourself to walking either in righteousness, commit yourself to doing what you're going to do as far as filling out the prayer cards and the financial, and then you're also saying, Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice. I'll do whatever it takes. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, then I would ask that you would get out and just come right up here and actually, uh, with bended knee, commit your, commit your life in the sense of, as a believer, to do whatever he wants in your life. And it may be that some of us are even being called to the unreached people group I don't even have music because I wasn't planning on doing this but the Lord seems to be laying on my heart is there anyone that needs to get out of their seat and come up here Is there anyone that you feel the tug of the Spirit of God in your heart that you need to commit whatever He is speaking to you about to Him on bended knee? Father, again, we just thank you for your plan of redemption. We thank you that it was only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we could ever be redeemed. And as we have put our faith and trust in him, that we are blood-bought, we are secure, we are yours forever. Father, we thank you that your spirit works in us Father, I thank you for those who have came forward for a specific reason, and I pray that the commitments they make now will be binding. We know that denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following you is in the present tense. It's in a moment by moment, and it is so easy to make a decision but not live by. it. And I pray that each that will make the commitment will be a commitment. Father, I pray that you would have your way and will in their lives and in each one here. You called us out of darkness. You called us out of death. You called us out of going towards hell. We're only on this earth for a very short time. May we run well. May we finish well. We desperately need your grace. We desperately need your spirit working in us we ask for families because if one makes a decision a commitment it affects the family especially if it's a father and I pray that families will be stronger because of our commitment to you again help us to know what to do whether as we begin by praying and perhaps sacrificing financially but for sure giving father help us to have a wisdom And the urgency, as we heard, it's an emergency to tell those around us about you. Help us to be bold with the gospel, to love people so much that we share, even though they may reject the gospel and reject us. Help us to be bold proclaimers of the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ towards us. And again, I ask that as we have made commitments, and even those who are standing have made commitments, that these will be binding on us. Help us to see how the world thinks, how America thinks, and then how you think. And help us to walk in paths of righteousness for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Again, I would encourage you to stay for the time right after for the very short meeting and be praying. Definitely fill out the prayer cards, the financial cards, and you are dismissed.